0: It reminds me of that story in Genesis 2 when God created humanity and he scooped up some of the, the dust of, of the ground and formed it into a human, human person and then he breathed into the nostrils of that person his breath and that person became a living being. It's because of the breath of God that, that this person becomes a, 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 a living, living being. There's so, all sorts of richness to that story. In, in Hebrew, the, the word for ground is adamah. And so God, God makes forms from the atoma, the atom, this human for the earth, but He also breathes into him His spirit, and makes these human beings, images of God here on Earth. And so for us, throughout the rest of the, of the, the story of, of Scripture, God is very clear, we don't set up idols of God's because we are, we are idols. Of God, We are the ones made in His image, who are called to bear His image here on earth. He's breathed into us His breath and made us into His likeness. God breathed. Another uh, image that comes to mind as I uh, hear this, this phrase, God breathed, I think of God's holy word is His scriptures. Scripture itself says about itself, all Scripture is God-breathed, inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by human hands, but inspired by the Holy Spirit. A faithful account of what God has done throughout the, the millennia. A, a faithful account of what God expects of His, his people. It, it tells us what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. All Scripture is God-breathed, and somehow God uses His Scripture over and over again in the life of His people to renew them, to recast them in His image. God uses His words to to do that. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. This third picture of of God-breathed reminds me of what God did at Pentecost. He He sent out his Holy Spirit onto onto his church. It reminds me of in the book of of John when Jesus himself is gathered with his disciples and he breathes on them and they receive the the Holy Spirit. And so we have the the Holy Spirit now. If we put our faith in Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit. And from time to time, the church uh, will will fall asleep in in, in the faith and God needs to breathe again a a fresh wind of his, his Holy Spirit on, on the church, I, I think that there's this pattern uh, that we see with god's people throughout the the old but even in the New Testament and even in in church history we see this pattern of sometimes god 's people get spiritually sick, and God needs to breathe his spirit on them in a fresh and new way i I've just come to this um, I, for those of you who don't know me, by the way, I, I'm uh, Adam. I'm married to Christy, uh, who's normally up here. <laughs> I'm, I'm mostly just a Sunday school teacher around here now, so I'm just going to tell some, tell some stories from, from the Bible in, in just, a, just a minute. But in, in my, the rest of my work, I, I connect with the church more broadly and have lots of conversations with pastors uh, th- throughout the, the, the city. And one of the things that I'm noticing is that there's this growing hope and expectation that God will breathe a freshness into his church. I, th- I think that there's this growing hunger, a, a longing, uh, a, a need, a, a diagnosis that things are not quite, quite right and that God needs to breathe something new and fresh again into, into his, his church. And so uh, when I hear God breathed, the third image that really comes to mind is this picture of revival that comes from the Holy Spirit, this uh, getting rid of old idols uh, and allowing God to make us into, into who he wants us to, to be. I was talking to a Lutheran pastor um, of, of a small Lutheran church, and I was just hearing some of the history of his, his church. He's like, we're really small right now. And um, he said, but you know what? We don't really need more people that's not what we need the, the most. What we need is the Holy Spirit at work in, in our church because the world needs the church more than the church needs the world. And so when, we're, when we talk about God breathe, we're talking about what, what God might want to do to set us right again as a people. I, I just wonder is it, is it possible that, I, I, I sense the spiritual sickness in the, in the church too. I think the church has caught a cold spiritually. I, I just wonder how long has this been going on? Has it been going on for generations? One of the, one of the blessings of uh, middle age is I'm starting to think generationally about my life. You know, my parents are getting older. I got kids that are, that are, that are, that are growing up. I'm starting to think genera- generationally. What if we've had, what if my generation grew up in a church with a spiritual cold? What what if my kids are are, are growing up uh, experiencing a church that is not at its best, is not fully on fire with the Holy Spirit? What What if God wants to call us to something different in the days to come and breathe His Spirit fresh? on us. I was talking to a young adult before, before service this morning and I, he asked how long I was part of the church. And I said, well, since it started. I moved to Grand Rapids in 2004. He said, that's the year I was born. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm old. And I want something better for him. I want them to see a more faithful people who are hotter in their relationship with God. so God breathed again i'm just i 'm just just a Sunday school teacher, so you're in my Sunday school class this, this morning, and uh, i'm going to tell, tell a story it's a story that maybe some of you have heard if you've been around church for for a while I, I quizzed down some of our our kids before service, and some of them kind of knew this the story, but they didn't know the details as well as I wanted them to know the details. And so I'm going to be going o- over the story with, with them in the near future. But it's the story of a guy named Daniel. Does anyone, does that ring a bell for anybody in the any Bible readers? All right. A guy named Daniel. Daniel was uh, a young man, and Daniel had three friends uh, who were all pulled into, into exile. And Daniel's three friends, their names were... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We've got some Bible readers in here. So yes, their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But no, their names were not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. At least that's not the names that their parents gave them. That's not their Hebrew name. That's their Babylonian name. This is part of what happens when you're pulled into exile. You're you're pulled out of your homeland, you're pulled out of your culture, you're pulled out of your place of worship, and, and you're uh, encouraged, uh, sometimes persuaded, sometimes forced to assimilate into a new new culture. It'd be easy for Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego to forget their Hebrew names. Does anyone remember their Hebrew names, the ones their mom and dad gave them? I don't either. Hananiah, Azariah, Azariah, Mishael, yeah. Yeah, that's the name their parents gave them, and it would be easy for them to forget who they were because in their generation, the lights had gone out. You see, they had grown up in a spiritually sick culture. They had grown up among the people of God and in proximity to the temple of God. But they had grown up watching people who say that they follow God be unfaithful. So this is the story of, of what lands them in exile. If you have your paper Bibles, I'm not going to put it on the, the screen, flip back to 2 Corinthians, the very end of the, 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 the book. If you were to read through First and 2 Corinthians Chronicles, thank you. First and second Chronicles. We got some Bible readers here. Good, good. If you read the story of First and Second Chronicles, it is the story of God's people. God's people established in the land, God's people under the leadership of of uh, a variety of different kings, and for most of the history of God's people established in the land that God had given them uh, under the leadership of of kings that were supposed to follow the Lord and call the people to, to, to faithfulness, for most of that history, you see failure and failure and failure. Unfaithfulness, unfaithfulness, unfaithfulness. Allowing idols to be set up to other gods in the land that God had given them. Failure after failure after failure. Injustice after injustice after injustice. But occasionally, occasionally you'd see this little uptick. A king that would call the people back to true faithfulness in in God. you see this uptick. But for most of the period, it was this sort of steady decline. And so uh, God, when he established uh, his covenant with, with his people... He, he warned them, as soon as he established the covenant with them, you're to me, be my people, you're to follow my, my commands, uh, you're to have one God, and I am that God, you're not to have any other gods b- b- before me. As soon as he established that covenant with them, he said, if you don't do this, you will lose the gift. And you will, uh, you'll be, other nations will come in and they will take you uh, 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 away. And so as, as soon as God established the covenant, He's told them what would happen if they didn't follow it. They didn't follow it. This is what happens at the end of the the book of Second Chronicles. Chapter 36. There was a series of bad kings. Some who reigned only a few months. Some who reigned a little over a decade. A couple who reigned a little over a decade. And uh, finally, uh, what the, the Lord had spoken had come to pass. And so Second Chronicles thirty-six, fifteen says this. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. He brought up against them the king of the Babylonians, who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary and did not spare young men or young women, the elderly or the infirm. God gave them all into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, who we'll read about in a moment in the book of Daniel. He carried to Babylon all the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temple and the treasures of the king and his officials. They set fire to God's temple and broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. He carried into exile to Babylon the remnant, a small group of God's people, the remnant who escaped from the sword and they became servants to him and his successors until the kingdom of Persia came to power. I'm going to teach City Life a Bible word that I'm not sure we know. Remnant. Remnant. So there's this small group of people. That, that the people have been spiritually sick for a long time, but there's this small group of people that God saves and, and, and brings them through judgment. And uh, there's, there's a bit to this, and so I want you to just kind of la, latch on to this, this idea so often, when, uh, when the whole world falls spiritually sick, God saves a remnant and takes them through justice and does something new. Recasts the image of, of God on that, that people and, and brings them through. That's true from very early on in the, in the Bible. So if you read the, the, the story of the, the flood, uh, God says, look, there's wickedness everywhere. People are inventing ways to be evil. I've got to wipe this place clean. I'm going to send a flood, but he saves Noah and his and his family. He saves this remnant, and they get all in this creation box, and they they are carried through the the, the flood. And God uh, again says, "These are my people, uh, made in my image. I'm going to I'm I'm going to to work with them." We see that over and over again through through scripture, and here God is saving a remnant of his people who are going through through this judgment. So, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are part of that remnant. They're this. They're these young men, uh, along with their friend Daniel, who is taken from Jerusalem. They see the temple burn. They're taken from Jerusalem, and they're taken into Babylon. Now, in their generation, they had seen all of the lights go out spiritually before the Babylonians even had, had shown up, right? And so they're, they're looking around, and they're just seeing uh, true faithfulness, true faith in, in God grow very dim until it, it, it snuffs out. And, and so uh, they had seen the lights go out in their own, among their own people, and then they're taken to a, a foreign land, away from their homeland, away from their place of worship. Uh, they're, they're being encouraged and coerced to assimilate, and uh, they, they'd seen all of, all of the lights go out. And here's where I just get to tell the Bible story like a Sunday school teacher. And so they're in Babylon, and they're under this oppressive king, Nebuchadnezzar, who just burned their their temple and their homeland. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he, uh, he this decides he's going to make an image, an idol. He's going to make an idol that is going to be a, a testament to his, his greatness. And so he makes this, this idol out of gold, and it is huge. He makes this, this massive idol out of, out of gold. And so presumably he melts down just all this gold, the, the wealth of, of his, his kingdom, and, and he casts this, I, I, you know, I wonder... I wonder if he took some of the gold from the temple of God and used that to cast this idol. I, I just thought of that. I, I wonder he took gold from the temple. I, I wonder if he took some holy things and cast them into an idol, a testament to his own power. Anyways, he builds this, he, he casts this title, he places it on a plane, so it's the biggest thing in, in, in sight. And this is his plan. He says, I'm going to have everyone come, and I'm going to have them bow down to, to this idol. I'm going I'm to play some music. There's going to be a, a big band, and when the music plays, people fall down. When the music plays, people fall down. They worship the idol. They remember that I'm a very, very important king. That's, that's his, his plan. Everyone thinks that's a great plan. Fascinatingly, he, he says, I'm going to call people from every—this is an empire, remember, right? I'm calling people from every nation— from every language group, and they're going to worship the, the idol. That's, that's my plan, this sort of counter kingdom to the kingdom of God, right? People from every tribe and tongue and nation, they're, they're going to worship the idol. Not, not God most high, but they're, they're going to worship the idol, a testament to my greatness. So the king has this plan. Everything is, is all set up. The, the, the people are all falling in line, right? They're all going to fall down, and they're going to uh, worship the, the idol. Except for, when the music plays and everyone falls down, you see some people standing up. Just a few. Just a remnant. And so the astrologers are looking out the crowd and they, they see a, a, a few people standing up. And, and they go to the king and they say, oh king, everyone fell down. Your plan worked. Except for there's some, there's some Jews. They, they did not fall down when, when the, the music played. And uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, he actually, he knows Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He knows who they are. They, they have a personal relationship. And so the astrologers say, it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the king is like, oh, man. Call him to me. I'm going to give him a second chance. And so this is what happens in uh, Daniel chapter 3, verse 13. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and, Ab- and Abednego, so these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, right? Like, how pompous is this, right? <laughs> when you hear the whole orchestra. Um, <coughs> when you hear the music... If you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? One last chance, guys. Get it right. It's not hard. Fall in line. Worship the idol. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But if he does not... We want you to know, I love this, I love this so much, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Just to let you know, king, if you throw us into the furnace, if you, uh, if you say off with our, you know, if, if you are, are going to uh, kill us as a result of this, we want to let you know our God will intervene. But even if he doesn't. We're not going to fall in line. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. You Bible readers know how this ends, and so you're waiting for it. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men? Three men. Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, Certainly, Your Majesty. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth, to his Babylonian eyes, to his pagan eyes, looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. The robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. So in true Sunday school fashion, I'm going to teach you uh, just quickly some movements of what we should do when we encounter the, the living word of, of, of God. And so uh, those movements look like this. And I want you just to do them with me and do them in a little exaggerated fashion like I'm about to do because it's going to help you remember, all right? All right. Your kids, by the way, are amazing. They remember stuff from week to week. I quiz them down. Uh. I will forget what I preach about by like 2 o'clock, but I'm hoping that this will help you remember, all right? We good? All right. So take pointer fingers. Whenever we uh, come to, to God's Word, we're coming to God's Word to experience revelation from God, meaning we don't already know it. We're not coming to God's Word to confirm what we already believe. We're coming to God's Word so that God can reveal himself to us and so that we can get in line. All right, so th- this is this is the movement. It goes like this. Aha, good. We're gonna try that one more time. Yeah, you guys are pretty good. Aha, 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 aha. aha. Got it. It's the process of discovery, right? So, aha, 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 aha. aha. Good, good. Here's the, here's the thing. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, just in reading that passage of Scripture, they are now my heroes, right? Like, I love their, their res- response to the king. My, my first ahas, aha. Is, aha. There's, there's three young men who, who say to, to Nebuchadnezzar, Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. it, And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down anyway. Right? All of a sudden, I'm like, aha. In the middle of exile, when all the lights go out, in the middle of exile, when all the lights go out, spiritually among your own people and culturally all around you, there is, aha, some young men who continue to carry the light. There's just a small group, a few young men who are spiritually awake and are ready for the moment. Aha. How in the world... How in the world do these three young men, presumably in their early 20s, how do these three young men carry the light in the middle of all that darkness? What formed them spiritually so that they're ready for that moment? Aha. It's possible. It's possible to carry the light. After all the other lights go out. Aha, how, how do I become like this? How, what formed them spiritually? Well, there's an aha in the aha. So if we were to flip back to Second Chronicles, just a couple chapters before the end of the, end of the book, you'd hear about an event that happened when they were little kids. When, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, were little kids and they're, they're still in the, the home of, of their, their parents, there were these series of bad kings, but when they were little kids, when they were little kids, there, there was a, a king who was also a little kid who came into power and called God's people back to, to faithfulness. And so uh, King Josiah became a king when he was eight years old. And as the eight-year-old, he had the faith of a child. And so he looked around his kingdom, and he said, we've got to take down these idols. Take them down here, take them down there. We've, we've got to take down, down these, these idols. So uh, that, that happens uh, as, as he's growing up. And they get down most of, most of the idols, and, uh, and Josiah um, is... Uh, is calling people to, to faithfulness in, in, in God. Not sure exactly what that looks like because he'd, he'd grown up in a generation that was unfaithful. He doesn't know, he doesn't have any people that he can, he doesn't have any mentors in his life that are, that are calling him to, to this, but he's, he's trying to be as faithful as he can. And while he was taking assessment of what, what's, what's actually in this temple, what's, what's in the temple of God, go, go, go do an inventory of this. And so they do an inventory of the, the, the temple and they find something among the artifacts in the temple. And so there's this guy named uh, Hilkiah, a priest, and they're they're counting up all the gold articles. They're counting up, making sure they're, they're giving an assessment for, for the king. And Hilkiah, Hilkiah the priest, finds this book. And it's just a dusty old book in in the middle of all the gold stuff. And he takes the book and he like wipes some of the dust off and like, starts to read it. And it's like, oh. This is the book of the law. This is an account of the covenant that God has made with, with his, his people. He doesn't know what to do with it. Like, I don't know, bring this to the king. And so uh, he brings it to the king, and the king has it read in his presence, and he's reminded of God's expectations for his people. The king rips his robe because he's in such anguish that they have not followed the, 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 the covenant. And so they take the, the king doesn't know what to do, and so... The king and the priest, they, they go find a prophet. And they find this prophet named Huldah, uh, this, this female prophet. And this is what the prophet Huldah says to the king. She says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Tell the man who sent you to me, this is, this is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on this place and its people. All the curses written in the book that has been read in the presence of the king of, of Judah because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all that their hands have made. My anger will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the, the Lord, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard, because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God, when you heard what was spoken against this place and its people, because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, Josiah. I've heard you, declares the Lord. Now I'll gather you to your ancestors and you'll be buried in this place. Your eyes won't see the disaster I'm going to bring on this place or on those who live here, live there. And so Josiah hears the words of the prophet, he's, he's discovered, he's had his aha moment, he discovers the, 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 the word of God, which so often is the way of revival. You discover the, the, the word of, of God, it does something in, in your heart, and then, then you change. That is how God works through, through his, his word. He calls all the people together, and he reads the, the book to, to all of them, and all of them reestablish their, their covenant with God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they're little kids, their parents got to be part of this, this revival. They got to see a, a glimmer of true faith when they were little kids. And so when all the lights had gone out, and they're now young adults them, themselves, they're able to point back to that moment and say, look, I remember. I remember a little bit of who I am as someone chosen and called by God. It is so important, parents, the role that you have in your kids' spiritual development. It is so incredibly important. I'm doing some, some research right now for, um, for work, and uh, I'm reading a, a, a book. It's a, it's a researcher by a guy from Princeton. I can't even tell if the guy's a Christian. Uh, certainly his work covers more than um, Christian faith. But this is what, uh, what he says about um, parenting, and I think it's absolutely true. He says, uh, peer-reviewed research, he says, the single most powerful causal influence on the religious lives of American teenagers and and young adults is the religious lives of their parents. Did you catch that? The single biggest uh, cause of, or the the single biggest effect on our kids is our, our spiritual lives. Not their peers, not the media, not their youth group leaders or clergy, not their religious school teachers, myriad studies show that beyond a doubt, the parents of Americans play the leading role in shaping the character of their religious and spiritual lives, even well after they leave home and often for the rest of their lives. Furthermore, this parental influence has not declined in effectiveness since the 1970s when they started the research project. I, don't, I have the sense that all these pastors and folks that I'm, I'm connecting with are, are, are sensing something really similar, that uh, the American church has caught a cold. And perhaps we've had this cold for a long time, and perhaps generations of, of people have grown up uh, with a faith that is not pure. And What if in our generation we're able to experience a a return to faithfulness in God, a revival, an awakening, a fresh wind from from the the, the Holy Spirit? What if in our generation God wants to, to do that among us so that when all the lights go out, our kids can shine? So the first aha in the book of of Daniel is aha look at their story look at what's possible now I promised you a few other ahas so uh, the first aha is look I, I think um, things are, are spiritually messed up in in the Christian church, and I don't know uh, how we're going to recover it except for the word of God might speak something fresh in our lives. We might discover, again, what is in, in, the, in the word of God, and God might help us to respond in true repentance and then in, in faithful, faithfulness uh, to, to God. So the first aha is perhaps this could happen again. Perhaps this, this, will, this could happen even in, in our generation Perhaps God would do something new with us, just like he did something new with uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and, and Abednego. Aha, I'm discovering something here. There's, uh, I hesitate, I didn't explain this well at first service, I hesitate to to say at this service, it, so I'm just, I'm gonna, because I don't know what next time I'm gonna preach here. So, For a lot of young folks um, in the church, for a lot of older folks in the church, there's this sense, I think, too, that something is spiritually off, that there's a sickness um, that we haven't been able to shake as as a church. And so a lot of young folks have gone on a journey of uh, what they're calling deconstruction. They're deconstructing their their faith. And I've been hesitant to uh, say anything about that because, um, well,. I'm kind of waiting to see, is God going to use this, perhaps, in, in the life of his, his church to call us to, to faithfulness? Certainly, there are lots of things that need to be deconstructed in so-called faith in the church, nationalism, patriarchy, all these bad things, um, but I've, I'm still kind of waiting for some young folks to have an aha moment like this, where they're saying, actually, I'm not just pointing out what's wrong in in the church, but I'm rediscovering what's in God's word, and it's speaking to me in fresh ways. I'm kind of waiting for a group of of young folks who are are saying, aha, I'm reading the text again, and it's calling me to real repentance. Not just calling everyone else. It's calling me to repentance. I'm ripping my robes. I'm I'm wanting to, to follow God in a new way. I'm I, I'm trusting that it's his Holy Spirit actually convicting me of these wrongs and I've got to get my life right with, with him. I'm kind of waiting for that aha moment in the life of the, life of the church. So aha. Uh, three more in, in rapid succession and uh, feel free to come up and, and play music because I'm going to go fast here. Aha. This was possible once. But what, what else might the text be saying? I had this other aha moment uh, just earlier this, this week. I've read this story a, a, a hundred times, but uh, I, I immediately zoned in on aha, this is happening among these, these three young men. But, but as I read the story, I realized, aha, this isn't just about three, three men. It's not just about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were thrown into a furnace, right? They wouldn't bow down to the idol, and they were thrown into the furnace. Why were they thrown into the furnace? Well, I think King Nebuchadnezzar is thinking poetic justice. They're not going to bow down to my idol, and so I'm going to throw them into the furnace in which that idol was cast. But I think God is actually doing something uh, deeper. God has a deeper poetic justice enacted here. And, and what God is doing, I think, in this moment, what I think the story that God wants to tell through these three young men is that God is going to preserve and refine a people through the fire of exile. He's going to recast his image on his people in the middle of exile, in the middle of the darkness. God is going to recast his image on his people and deliver them, them through. So it's not just, aha, look at these three young men and what they do. It's, aha, God has a whole people that he wants to do something with. God has a whole church that he wants to recast in his image. That if we will allow ourselves to go through the refining fire we sang about it, right? If we allow ourselves to go through the refining fire, God might recast his image in his church. A true faith of the one true God. John the Baptist told us about him. He told us about him. He said, someone's coming after me who who will baptize you in fire. The fire of the Holy Spirit at work among his people. So, aha and aha. God has a whole, God wants to recast his image in his whole church. And then the third aha is this aha Because, do you remember this part of the story? Three people were thrown into the fire. But when they looked in, there were four people. Did you catch that part? And to King Nebuchadnezzar's pagan eyes, he looks in, that looks like the son of one of the gods. Well, to my Christian eyes, I'm reading this, no, it looks like the son of God. Jesus is there with his people in the refining fire, overseeing their preservation and their development. God Himself is walking with us through this, this time. God Himself is with His church, not a, away from it, with His church through this refining fire, even as we go through this spiritual exile. Jesus told us the truth when He told us, I will be with you until the very end of the age. Aha! And then finally, aha! Now that we've seen the text, seen what God wants to do among a whole people, our eyes have been opened to the character of a loving God. What are we going to do with us? How are we going to be shaped by this? Will we search the scriptures for a rediscovery of true faith? Will we allow the Spirit of God to breathe something new into our own lives? Will the image of God be recast in us as we go, as we experience the refining fire? Aha. Are we going to get ready for what's to come? Aha. Let's prepare ourselves to meet the Lord in communion. Please stand and confess our faith together. Say these words with me I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. And now, church, let us confess our sins so that we might be made whole. Say these words with me. Most merciful God, We have confessed that we have sinned against you in thought in word and deed by what we have done and by what we have failed to do. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and humbly repent for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen.